0: Welcome everybody, my name is Alexander Greb, I am the Customer Advisory Lead S4HANA Strategy at SAP and you are listening to the SAP Experts Podcast. If there is a concept that makes you gain crisis resilience and win in the recovery, it is the Intelligent Enterprise, a strategy that uses modern technologies that enable you to use your data to get real-time insights about your operations, market environment and customers. COVID-19 has given this topic a big boost in importance, as more and more enterprises now have realized what digitalization is all about. So I'm excited to feature for this episode Mr. Timo Elliott, Vice President and Global Innovation Evangelist for SAP. A SAP and Business Objects veteran for 29 years, he's a highly prominent keynote speaker and inspiring storytelling, focusing on innovation. Digital transformation, artificial intelligence, analytics, big data, and IoT. And it's probably one of the most prominent faces on business-oriented social media He his absolutely awesome videos. In this episode, he will give us his insights how the intelligent enterprise concept can make the difference for you no matter if you are a large or small sized business, and how you can win in a recovery and the new normal of this remarkable 21st century. Here at the SAP. Experts Podcast. Hi, Timo. Hi, Alex. Before we go into our main topic today, um, which is, of course, the intelligent enterprise, I want to talk for a minute about an aspect that surely helped your prominent status on social media. And I talk about the quality, creativity, and as, as a result of that, of course, the popularity of your videos is humbling and probably also frustrating thousands of tech evangelists who are also producing videos. I just want to mention one example I thought, which is especially impressive. As a promotion for Sapphire, you produced a video of yourself in front of the Paris Eiffel Tower. You probably know what I'm talking about, using the meadow of the park as the world's biggest green screen, which was astonishing. So my first questions to you, and they are three, First, do I waste your talents by offering you just an audio channel on this podcast? How did you foster your talents in video production and how large is your staff?
1: <laughs> so, well, first of all, the videos are really, I do those for fun. That, the video I did in front of the Eiffel Tower was on a Saturday morning. I got some, my GoPro out and did some recording and stitched it together. And a few hours later, I was able to publish it. Uh, I'm an innovation evangelist, so my real job is to work with organizations using the latest technologies in the latest ways, but I do try and do that in my personal life as well. I enjoy technology like so many of us, and uh, I'm constantly trying to push the limits of what's possible, so I try and do that with the video. I have no staff. (laughs) There's really, really a one-man show in that aspect. That's right, yep
0: um to talk about the intelligent enterprise which is our topic today in my opinion this topic is going quite big again which is probably something like a result of the of the pandemic of course because companies realize we probably need some different capabilities than probably we were concentrating on before the crisis let's let's just talk at first about the definition because from my experience when you ask like five persons about the definition of an intelligent enterprise you get probably six or seven different answers and opinions. Is there something for you what you say this is um, let's say the, the universal definition and, and what's your personal definition of an intelligent
1: enterprise? So I completely agree first of all there's lots of people with lots of different views of what it is um, so let me add another few definitions but well let me turn it around Alex. If I say a person is intelligent mm. what kind of chari- characteristics? You think that person would have?
0: I think um, now I bring my personal definition of an intelligent enterprise which I
1: think is quite human.
0: Um, I always say an intelligence enterprise is an enterprise which is able to practice insight to action which if you transfer it to a person to an individual is similar because at first you have the senses and the brains and so on to recognize in which kind of situation you are. Like, what are you, who are you, which is your situation? Then you say, okay, what are my options? And you leverage these options, you, you say, okay, scenario A may be like this, scenario B like that. And then you, based on these kinds of, of knowledge and experience that you have, you make a decision which should, of course, turn out to have been the best option.
1: Okay. No, so it sounds like you kind of cheated there, I have to say. You brought it back to enterprises. Um, but a person who's intelligent, we all have our own opinions, and there's different ways of being intelligent, I think. But in general, I think a person who's intelligent is somebody who identifies what's important in a particular situation, uh, gathers information to figure out possible answers, sifts through them to figure out what's the best possible one, and does that quicker than other people so being able to figure things out quickly is just at a very high level that's what we want out of any enterprise so an intelligent enterprise is people that use the latest technologies and data in particular in order to do that
0: so they're using the latest technologies for the sake of using it in an intelligent way
1: well I think it's aspirational. I think it's aspirational in that we all want to become more intelligent. It's about acting on the data. Um, We have lots of data available, but we don't always use it, leverage it as much as we could. And we know this, right? Everybody knows that we have more data and we're not we're struggling to really get the most out of it so i think for me the intelligent enterprise is about the steps and the efforts to try and get to this ideal of an organization that uh, reacts quickly to changing events so it is a journey yes i think very much so and you will never get to the to the be an intelligent enterprise. It's not like a thing that you can achieve. almost by definition, all of these technologies are constantly changing. We're constantly getting new opportunities. Uh, What is important in intelligent enterprise is not so much the technology, I think. It's a lot more about the, the people and the organization and so on. But let's face it, it's the technology that changes, that gives us new opportunities, new possibilities. So we're constantly trying to catch up with what is possible. And in fact, I think over the last 10 years, there's been a change in that for the longest time, the we knew what we wanted to do and the technologies just weren't there yet. There wasn't enough memory, there wasn't enough processing speed. Now in the last few years, I think that's kind of no longer true. There are almost infinite computing resources available. We're struggling to catch up with what is already possible. Uh, that what is limiting our ability to become intelligent enterprises is less and less the technology and more about connecting and integrating that technology and integrating it with our human processes. Which quite corresponds to my experience. Um, Like
0: 10 years ago, you had like the business people always blaming IT like, I want, but you cannot deliver. You do not have the technologies and so on. These voices have become a bit quieter in the last years?
1: There's still a lot of people (laughs) complaining about (laughs) IT organizations. I think what the reality is, as as we all know, is that there are things that sound really easy. Why can't you just give me all of the information I need to make this decision? And then when you look under the covers at all the complexity of what it takes to gather that information, to bring it all together, to have a standard definition of anything, things like headcount or profit. There are dozens of different definitions of what these terms mean across an organization. And it takes an awful lot of work. So partly the problem business people have is that they don't uh, realize just how hard it is and and how much they need the technologists to help them come up with something that looks easy. So when we define being an intelligent enterprise as, let's say,
0: a commitment to embark a journey like using the right things for the right, for the right knowledge gains. Um, the, the word intelligent enterprise may, of course, provoke the question, if there are intelligent enterprises, are there also like dump enterprises? Yes.
1: <laughs> Easy answer. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I think we know this, right? Sometimes if you're a business, you don't necessarily have to be particularly intelligent. Sometimes it doesn't matter. You can make money anyway. Mm -hmm. You're using gut feel, rules of thumb. Maybe you're in a business that just doesn't have much competition. Mm -hmm. But sooner or later, somebody more intelligent, smarter, more competitive will come along and disrupt your business. And there are big differences across industries. Some industries are undergoing digital transformation. If you're a taxi company, for example, right now, you're being... Severely disrupted, well, first by yeah, Uber and the others and and now by the the pandemic. But there are uh, uh, other industries are probably less affected. But um yes, you can act, most of the time, you can get a buy by not being the most intelligent enterprise out there. But over time, it gets tougher and tougher. And in particular, when things go wrong, being an intelligent enterprise has proven, I think, in the last few months to be a huge advantage so l- let's let's put a focus on
0: that what you said like how are intelligent enterprises like more crisis resilient than others what are the let's say abilities or is it maybe the attitude that makes them more resilient
1: i don't think that there's any organization that has gone through the recent uh, crisis, the pandemic, and thought to themselves, gosh, I I regret having done our digital transformation project. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Clearly, with everybody stuck at home, anything that relied on manual processes and paper was a huge problem. Organizations that had already done the hard work of digitalization that had a common view of their data were able to, better understand what was happening, Um, be able to choose between different choices on how to react, were closer to their customers to understand what their reaction was and what they needed to do differently in order to keep their business. So uh, clearly, I think, intelligent enterprises are more crisis resilient.
0: Which shows that intelligence in that way is not dependable on size. Because, for example, I have customers who are we're not talking about like like small business but but heavyweights from like Dow Jones and ducks companies where they were saying in the beginning of the crisis like i I'm absolutely not able to to send my people at home and let them work at home. I do not have the bandwidth from my v p n to to let them to make them access our systems so probably even even the last person now thanks to the crisis, and that wording is of course, a little bit weird, saying thanks to the crisis, but a positive aspect may be that probably the last one has recognized what digitalization is all about. And do you expect from that that also those intelligent enterprise will recover better and easier from that, let's say agony status in the, into that new normal? And will there be a let's say it or let's call it a much heavier run? on these technologies which enable intelligent enterprises.
1: So for first uh, about the size of organization, it's intelligent enterprise sometimes trips people up and they say enterprise, well, that's, that's big organizations are called enterprises. So does it apply to smaller organizations? And I think it's exactly the opposite in that if you're a smaller or medium-sized business, it's actually much easier to be an intelligent enterprise than in a large organization. Small organizations tend to be much closer to their customers. They understand the customer demand in a more intimate way than a large organization that has lots of different silos. Large organizations have a complexity of of data collection and IT infrastructure that just makes it harder for them to get a single view of what's going on. Historically, where the smaller organizations suffered is they didn't have the expertise to um, put together more sophisticated IT systems. There was some technology that was more or less reserved for bigger organizations with large staff. But what's happened recently is uh, the cloud has come along. And now, for example, a two-person, five-person organization can access exactly the same power of artificial intelligence, for example, in the cloud uh, for uh, easily uh, with a pay-as-you-go price. As any large organization, as a Unilever or a GE, they have access to exactly the same computing power now. So one of the biggest barriers that was stopping smaller organizations from taking advantage of their, their, I think, the better situation when it comes to the intelligent enterprise is now taken away. So I, th- I really think it's a golden era for smaller organizations that can start using these new technologies. So that was the first answer. The second was about, um are organizations going to be able to take more advantage of the situations now? And again, I think the proof is out there. If you've seen any of the Sapphire Now presentations, for example, they're full of examples of organizations that have used technology to be more resilient, but then also now to reimagine their business models going forward, taking the best of the old and try and combine it with the best of the new and adapt to the situation. Now at the end of the day technology isn't magic it it can't fix everything if you're in an industry if you're in the hospitality business uh, and you're in an area that is still in lockdown yeah. and you can't open your your restaurants and your bars technology... oh, your airplanes
0: are grounded yeah no chance with yeah.
1: technology so technology can't help that much right now but um to the extent that when things do start opening will these technologies help people react faster uh, clearly there are so many great examples out there of uh, organizations doing that i mean in the last couple of weeks i spoke to say uh, velux you know the the people that do the roof windows mm-hmm. uh, talking about how they're actually seeing a surge in demand now as people came out of lockdown they said you know, we've been in the dark in our in our house too long. We need new windows. Yeah. So, but they only have a limited uh, factory production. So it's they're a maximum production. So they're using intelligent technologies to figure out, OK, out of all of the windows that we could be uh, making right now, which are the ones that are going to provide us the most profit to which markets? It's fairly straightforward as a concept, but they can only do it because they've invested in these technologies, intelligent business planning, in order to be able to do that. Um, And again, so many great examples of this.
0: Of course, when you say that, like looking into the future and like predicting what the next crisis will be all about, it's impossible. But when looking in the past, and for example, when we look at two thousand eight, the financial crisis, which was of course not comparable to what we have now, but It also deserved definitely the word crisis. Didn't there and now the same abilities help, like knowing where your assets are, knowing what your liquidity is, what your money, where do you have it, how how to react it. Um, But now, which is the the the, the positive aspect of it, um, what you said with these kinds of technologies are now available to basically anybody. We have something like a demo democratic sizing aspect in that case we can at at least now look forward and saying if we do now as enterprises the right decisions to embark on these journeys we have no matter what comes of course we probably will also struggle again but we are in a better position to
1: struggle and i think this Goes to the heart of one of the concepts I associate with the intelligent enterprise. With, it's not just about installing new technology and doing business in a new way. We've always done that. Uh, ERP. We put in place new systems. We've adapted. But really, for me, the notion of intelligence includes learning and flexibility and agility. In other words, we're not. It's not just a technology project. It's a way of making innovation core a core competency in our business and using technology to help that so that no matter what is thrown at us, we can adapt in more or less real time to whatever that situation is. So it's, um, oh, I stumbled across a tweet the other day that I liked. It was uh, something along the lines of education is not increasing the size of your hard drive. It's increasing the amount of active memory. So, we sometimes treat technology projects as increasing the size of the hard drive. We're, we're just giving us you know, new capabilities. But really, it's about the active memory, it's about the ability to do things faster and more flexibly and, and learn from what we've done. Um, and we talk about crisis in the past. I actually really like using the example of organizations that are built to deal with catastrophic uncertainty. So I've worked in the past with organizations like the American Red Cross, or there's a UK organization called Plan International that I like a lot. They uh, they look after some of the world's most vulnerable uh, children in uh, when there are disasters around the world. And these organizations, by definition, don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah. So they have created Very flexible structures in order to be able to intervene quickly with the right resources, the right people, Um, and they have to be ready to go anywhere in the world to find people that speak the right languages, to have to work flexibly and collaboratively with governments and other uh, non-governmental organizations in order to fix a critical situation. Now, thankfully, in business, most of us are not in that situation. But uh, they, for example, swear by cloud technologies because they're not going to go and when the typhoon has just hit, you don't want to have to try and spin up servers somewhere, right? You you want to be able to access whatever you have anywhere. Bandwidth is sometimes a problem, but it's interesting enough. The very first thing that anybody does in a disaster zone is um, put up uh, Wi-Fi and satellite links these days, because that's the number one resource that you need to fix anything is access to all Mm. of these cloud resources and communications. Um, Yeah, so again, it's about using these technologies. We know that other things are gonna go wrong. They seem, things (laughs) seem to be going wrong faster than they did in the past. Um, we do, sadly, know about some of the things that are going to go wrong. Um, global warming, for example, still seems to be a fairly existential threat going forward. And uh, and so we know we need to prepare for that in terms of our businesses and societies. Uh, we
0: even struggle to take the simplest measures yeah, to end the pandemic by just wearing masks when we go outside. Yeah, You just have to look in the news.
1: Yeah, uh, but, you know, social, technology has a dark side. So, for example, I think we get a very skewed view of human nature through social media. I think, uh, sadly, the business models are designed to, make, to bring out the worst. We see yeah. more of the worst types of behavior exactly. because it gets more engagement. So, the reality is that we are good people. We just are exposed to a, the, the worst people being badly behaved
0: yeah the, the worst people probably get more loudspeaker through um, social media than they deserve, and a nice uh, definition of social media I once read was social media makes you meet these kinds of people again. you were glad not to see again
1: <laughs> and I, I mean i don't want to we I don't want to take us down a dark path, but I think it is fair as we talk about intelligent yeah. enterprises and this wonderful vision of people using technology well it's worth emphasizing that it's just a tool. There's nothing inherently positive about technology that will make the world a better place. We have to decide to do that. We can use technology to do wonderful things, but we can also use technology to do bad things. Artificial intelligence I think is a fantastic example. It's incredibly powerful. I honestly believe that, um, I get really excited about the boring uses of Intel of artificial intelligence, where we can start automating, uh, complex, repetitive decisions. Now yeah. these make up a huge proportion of many business processes like finance, and we can free up people from what they consider the most boring work that they do so that they can do more strategic things. And those efficiency gains, um, Get turned into market benefits. Then I, I'm a big. I'm an economist by training, so mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in markets and business uh, helping generate the the money and the revenue we need to help make the world a better place. So I, I'm a staunch capitalist as long as it's the at the service of society rather than the other way around. But artificial intelligence can also be used badly. Um, I sometimes say that algorithms are psychopaths. They have no understanding of human nature. They will happily do the wrong thing very efficiently if we've trained them badly. And uh, they're inherently biased because they've been taught by human beings. And we are all biased. So we have to be cautious about how we roll out the use of artificial intelligence Uh, within our companies and within our societies. So automating financial functions, fantastic. Using it to decide how we treat different people, something we have to pay a lot more attention to, be a lot more cautious about.
0: I really like that you emphasize before we even talk about the elements, like the technological elements of intelligent enterprise, that it needs unartificial intelligence to make enterprise intelligent like it still needs us it's not something like a switch you turn off you you buy intelligence like you buy applications cloud application etc and 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 bang you are intelligent it's not like that it still needs the new man at the helm absolutely so Let's put the ingredients apart. Um, there's this nice, um, this nice slide that is uh, quite popular, showing the certain elements of the um, intelligent enterprise. Let's start with the intelligent suite, which is for many like the heart of the intelligent enterprise. Why do you think put so many people, so much emphasis on the intelligent
1: suite in within the intelligent enterprise? So the intelligent enterprise is something we've been talking about for a few years, and we've talked about what it means. But for SAP, obviously, it's also used to indicate a a set of capabilities that we provide to customers. And um, clearly that one of the biggest things that SAP is known for is uh, our suite of applications. And that's expanded over the last few years. And there's still many people that haven't quite understood the full breadth of those capabilities, right? We're known for logistics and and finance and so on. But with the uh, capabilities around uh, travel and expenses or um, customer experience in particular, it's much wider than it ever used to be. But still, fundamentally, SAP has stood for Integrated end to end business processes. So lead to cash, source to pay, recruit to retire, design to operate. And these things are timeless. Organizations Mm -hmm. will always want to do this in an integrated way. So what's changed? What's changed is A, the world got more and more complex. So as we're trying to do these things, it's across hybrid architecture some of it's in the cloud some of it's local we're working more with uh, outsourcing as part of our business process so we have constantly got to increase our capabilities to provide an integrated end-to-end process despite the fact that the underlying uh, parts that we're trying to coordinate are perhaps less integrated than ever before if you just had single factory and everybody worked there you know that the, the, the when sap was first founded, founded that was probably a vision of what a typical business looked like now of course that same business is across several different continents with lots of different subcontractors and lots of different um, uh, employees that don't necessarily work for you and things like that so increasing those capabilities and uh, and making sure that the newer products, the cloud versions are really integrated with the rest. That's one thing that came across very very strongly recently from the Sapphire Now and the, the talks that Christian Klein has done, is that we know that integration is really important for our customers, and we've doubled, doubled down on our commitment to, to provide that.
0: Many also put an emphasis on the intelligence Suite because they say, in even if you refuse to take that classical two-node picture, Um, and you probably have reasons for that, no doubt about this. But when you talk about core and edge and intelligence, it is the core from definition. You need that emphasis because it is the door opener to everything else. You can do on the edge side and the fancy stuff. So, So as much as you want, you would never leverage the benefits of it. If you do not have the core that is able to, let's say, um, operate, operationalize it to, to make, it, make it really money because that, that's where you transfer these kinds of uh, things into money.
1: Well, let, let me give you the flip side, though, yeah. which is great. Well, I find people, many organizations we talked about, the I think it's a golden age for smaller organizations. I think many of those organizations to hesitate to talk to a company like SAP because it's too big. Yeah. Because this vision of something integrated is something that that just it's a little bit more than they uh, have in mind. And of course, we do have appropriate platforms for smaller organizations like Business One and so on. But I think There's also many, many SAP customers that are perfectly happy using just one of our applications. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You can use Concur for travel expenses or SuccessFactors for HR or Qualtrics for experience management and none of the other products. It's... You know, we have this vision of helping you. If you want to expand to other business areas, we want to make that as easy as possible by making it the same look and feel, integrated metadata and management and sign-on and so on. But it's just important to to mention that just because we can give you this integrated end-to-end business process, you can still get a lot of business value even without that.
0: But I think this is quite a natural um, topic because, like, if you look for Apple, we have the same thing. Of course, you can have an iPhone and you have a Microsoft uh, laptop. But if you, and that's what I started, for example, last year, since I have also an Apple TV, I can, of course, take my iPhone and control with that my television, which is quite handy, to be obvious so, um you can have additional benefits by of course using it, and they are definitely there, but of course um this is absolutely individual if you decide to do that
1: it it's a great example a yeah, great yeah.
0: um when 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 you go off from the intelligence suite um to let's say the second part, which has let's say from from some standpoints of customer who they generate a lot of noise in the let's say 12 months before corona we are talking about experience management what i especially would think interesting to talk about is because i think experience management has been defined in the last last 12 months over and over and over again and we had lots of examples which and that's that's what I received, for example, as critics from, from customers were saying, like, okay, but you're addressing a lot of first world problems with that. Yeah, because it was about like, let's say one guy was 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 promoting it by saying, like, hey, I got a coconut cake at my at my hotel room. I hate coconut cakes. I would never want to see them again. Experience management makes the hotel enables the hotel, never give me coconut cakes again. Bummer. Yeah. Um now we have a completely different situation and i think this is the interesting in the real case about experience management everybody talks about the new normal nobody knows what the new normal is all about yeah (laughs) experience management do you think and this is my big hope in experience management can experience management help me to find out what the new
1: normal is all about So first, let me take a big step back. I completely agree with uh, this notion of experience management as delighting your customers, which is sort of by definition, something that's fairly elitist. And I I don't think we did ourselves any favors. I, I listened to a senior executive on stage talking about how customer experience for him was when You know, he was a frequent flyer and he hadn't got the business upgrade that he felt he deserved. And I just, uh, (laughs) just, no. Great, yeah. Right. Bummer, as you said. (laughs) Uh, But for me, experience management is so much more fundamental than that. Uh, Let me put it this way. I, I, I believe that we live in a world of social transparency where your product is your marketing in a very fundamental way? Um, have you ever used TripAdvisor? Yeah. So why did you go to TripAdvisor instead of going to the website of the hotel? Because I wanted to read all the bets <laughs> <laughs> You want what you want. You wanted the the truth. You wanted yeah. what the experience was like from other people like you. Exactly. So no matter what that hotel said and no matter how slick their their marketing values, it's not really going to change mm. your choice of that hotel or not. How do they become a better hotel? How do they get you to go there? Well, ultimately, they have to do better on TripAdvisor, which means mm. that they have to be a better hotel. They have to be a better experience. and This is not just the hospitality business. Whatever industry you are in, your customers and prospects can find out in just a few clicks how good your product and service really is from your existing customers. So whatever you do, it's about doubling down on what you do best using these technologies. So experience management is just fundamentally providing a good product. not just for your consumers, but I think it applies to everybody in the business. If you're the finance function and you're doing budgeting, and the business people hate the process that you put in place, and so they do it badly, and so the budgeting process takes longer and is less flexible, that's a bad experience. So um, I like the definition of um, optimizing every experience that matters first, determining what matters, you know yes, the the, what was it, the coconut
0: thing in the
1: cake in the hotel room? Yes, not what I care about in a hotel room, right? So part of, big part of experience management is knowing what to care about in the first place. What what is it that really gets your customers to choose you rather than something else, right? Most organizations don't really know that, or they're guessing. How about we put in place tools so that they really know what customers care about? Um, So, you said the new normal. <laughs> uh, I, I think these tools become even more important right now because it's not about customer delight, right? It's harder to delight customers in this environment, but it means that you know what they care most about. One of my favorite stories uh, that came out of Sapphire was actually a small company called J-Dogs. Did you see this? They sell hot dogs in Utah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So small organization. Uh, they grew from a single stand, and now they're, they're growing quite quickly. And they, uh, they use these tools to find out what is it the customers wanted. Somebody came up with the great idea of providing hot dog as a kit. So you could actually take your hot dog kit, you drive, you drive in, you buy your hot dog kit, and then you take it home and you barbecue it at home, but it has the same flavors that you enjoyed from the J-Dog franchise. And this turned out to be incredibly popular right? They, they they tried it on a whim and it turned out that it's so popular, they're absolutely going to keep it even as their uh, stores reopen. So it's just a little example. But yes, thanks to these tools, they now know that the new normal includes <laughs> take out, do-it-yourself hot dogs at home. And, uh, and the drive-through was also something that they thought would be detracting from the experience. But it turns out, again, that's exactly what customers need. Because probably, let's say, customers are
0: now used again to cook for themselves probably found joy again in it and try to continue that and for them
1: this is the new kind of normal um Sorry, just a little little anecdote um mm-hmm. I, I had a a big wedding anniversary while we we're in lockdown and my wife we live in paris congratulations uh, thank you and my wife managed to find a a, a starred michelin chef you had a restaurant nearby and the restaurant was closed, obviously, uh-huh. but he put together a kit for a really nice lobster meal with all of the little ingredients. So they'd made the ingredients in the, in the kitchens, you know, mm. tasted fantastic, but you actually made it yourself complete with like the decorations on the mm-hmm. plate that you would get in a mm-hmm. nice restaurant. <laughs> and uh, it worked out really surprisingly well so yes i think uh, restaurant meals as a kit is a is a trend
0: <laughs> i have to look out for that sounds interesting what what i really was think was interesting was something an article the economist was releasing i think it was like 6 weeks ago already and it was already about the new normal. And what they said was, and they, they put a quite interesting analogy, because like China is already a little bit farther ahead in the kind of recovery. So they are already at the moment experience maybe more than us what the new normal is all about. And they were referring to um in the nineteen seventies, a professor um, at the Tokyo Institute of Technology observed that there was something disturbing about robots which looked almost but not quite like people.
1: Mm, the un-
0: Uncanny Valley. The Uncanny Valley, exactly. And um, this was what I really was finding interesting and this was making a little bit my my mind uh, running around on this topic. Like, Of, ca- of course there will be a new normal, which is like everything which is new at the first time disturbing to people and so on. It's disturbing to enterprises because they say, okay, I cannot wait to restart again. Mm -hmm. But probably there will never be a restart. Like if you talk to airline companies, they will not have something like that business before again.
1: Um, I I think we should never let a good crisis go to waste, as they sometimes say. Um, Right now, it's just a wonderful opportunity to go back to what your customers really care about. What is it that you are provide can provide to your customers that they appreciate, and how is that adapted to the new world? I mean, all organizations should do this, but now more than ever is a great opportunity to do so. Actually, I've been talking to several organizations that are they've been you know struggling. There's been slowdowns and so on, but at the same time because they feel like they've been able to weather this crisis better than their competition they're actually gearing up to grab market share as as society comes back because you know i talked to um in new zealand hospitality organization. And it was touch and go for them, right? They, they, were, they were saying, okay, we might have to close our doors. They were rescued by a, a government plan that helped that they could uh, keep their employees furloughed. And so the business is still going. And now because they've maintained good relationships with their the leaseholders of the pubs and bars, they believe that as it goes forward and they're looking to expand, they were one of the fastest growing businesses in the country before lockdown. Now they do think that they'll be able to expand faster at a lower cost because they could, they've proven their resilience, that the people that will rent them property will do so, are more likely to rent to them than the competition because they've shown that they're a viable business that's going to be around in the future. So that they, really, they really think this is going to accelerate their growth ultimately
0: so it's again resembling the retooling we already talked about in episodes before like what was happening basically in the second world war when for example the british and the american economy really quickly had to retool to produce war related stuff but during that process they learned so much about Let's say methods to produce methods to for, in logistics and so on, uh, like packaging. They that would really leap ahead what they were doing for the economy and for, for 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 let's say the 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 doing after the war. So by nature, it came out that the old known would never exist again. You put one word very right in the center. In the beginning already, which is the word cloud, and uh, this also is seen in the ingredients of our let's say interpretation of the intelligent of the intelligent enterprise with the business technology platform and the industry cloud. So before we talk about this, first, is cloud really something like necessary for being becoming an intelligent enterprise? Is this a mandatory ingredient, or can I also become intelligent when focusing? like I have ever before on on-prem architectures.
1: Um, so yes, you can be absolutely intelligent with an on-prem architecture. I think it's just harder. I mean, honest question. If you, Alex, were to create your own startup, you had this fantastic idea for mission-style kit meals at home or something, and you're trying, to, <laughs> you're trying to expand the size of your business, would you buy your own servers?
0: Of course not. I right? do not have the basement for this. Get <laughs> stuff in there.
1: So, would no. you try and leverage existing platforms as much as possible? Absolutely. On the other hand, might you need some custom code for some aspect of your business that isn't already provided for on, you know, with standard out-of-the-box functionality? Of course, maybe to differentiate myself from existing things. Right. Would well, yeah, I, I need, need it. it. Yeah, it'd be yep. that like that that secret source the the exactly. one thing that you I mean if you're a startup almost by definition you're trying to do something that isn't already available out of the box, yep. um, so, so so I think that's that's the future right is is to leverage these platforms now of course it's not like we can throw away everything we've just invested in for the last forty or fifty years there's immense value in that infrastructure and uh, we need to leverage that one of the best things about SAP is that the ability to have Uh, on-premise and the cloud working together, right? Rather than some of the the pure cloud vendors where you have to just throw away everything you've got on-premise and move all of your data into the cloud, even when you're a little bit scared about that. Um, So I honestly think that hybrid is going to be the, uh, the reality for organizations for decades, honestly. But if you can do something new, Really, why would you do it on premise now? Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Take advantage of the, uh, the scalability, the efficiency. I was talking to a company just the other day. Who was it? Oh, um, you know, I can't even remember. It was just, but the takeaway was of course we did it in the cloud. It was just so much easier and faster, and we could scale up and scale down.
0: <laughs> it's it's like, a question about this.
1: Right. It was, it was, um, it was for SAP Analytics Cloud. Mm. They wanted to roll out more self-service access to uh, to data for people, and it was just this. Yeah, of course, cloud was no brainer.
0: <laughs> yeah, and especially if you talk, if you take like the analytics cloud as a example, especially in that aspect, it's quite interesting because that what the SAP Analytics Cloud is all about. The capabilities would not be possible on an on premise installation or in an on premise architecture.
1: Well, yes. Yeah, so it's, it's a combination. Like some of the things yeah. are analytics we've been able to do for a long time. Self-service tools are absolutely on-premise self-service yeah. tools. But when you look at the augmented analytics aspect yeah. of it, where we're building in, where it's designed around um, using machine learning. Um, as a fundamental part of the system, so it detects patterns automatically for you, for example, that really does rely on having a cloud infrastructure. You know, the power of artificial intelligence is much easier to access when you're in the cloud than trying to do it all locally. So... It's, it, it, I, honestly, I found that the rise of artificial intelligence got rid of most of the remaining doubts about moving to the cloud, because fundamentally, it's just sort of intuitively obvious that when you're crunching massive amounts of data and you're trying to use data from many different sources, the cloud is the right place to do that. And since artificial intelligence is a big opportunity, and you're going to do that in the cloud, why not bring your business process up to that intelligence rather than trying to do trying it by the Absolutely. Next element, Climate 21.
0: A beautiful thing? Is it the
1: right time for it? Oh, so this is what I... This, honestly, this is one of the saddest things I think I saw. I saw an article that basically said uh, the SAP message around state sustainability was, quote-unquote, dated. And I found that sad and tragic. And yeah. Of course, we've all been talking about sustainability for years, decades, but it's not like the problem is solved. Mm -hmm. global warming increasingly clear that it's an existential threat to the planet and a huge source of uh, potential crises in the future Um, and so yeah that was so yes I can on the other hand of course yes there are immediate concerns you know if your business is about to go under you're not thinking about the sustainability of your product completely understand at the same time How could SAP possibly not devote massive amounts of time and attention to helping all of us do more of these? Um, So, and again, it's not new. We have this new carbon footprint analysis product, for example, that helps you uh, along the entire value chain to do more sophisticated calculations. Now, the idea is not new. We, I remember working with Danone, uh, the yoga company, yeah. on mm-hmm. their sustainability chain. We actually had a product called SAP Carbon Impact, I think it was called. Um, but it was a little bit too early. People weren't necessarily there yet. The technology wasn't exactly the right technology for what we're trying to do. So now we're having another go at it. But uh, So yes, yes, it's absolutely the right time.
0: I absolutely agree because when we are now in times when processes are changed to adapt to whatever the new normal is all about, that's, that's exactly the right moment to do that. Because you are in that way by embracing the powers of Climate 21 you, you're doing your part in trying to not, let's say Construct the next crisis, which is on a global level, coming from let's say uh, global warming, um, on a much bigger scale than anything we have imagined today. So when 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 not now, when should you do it then? And and by this, in my opinion, if if somebody say if there are are there mandatory ingredients of a intelligent enterprise a in enterprise. From my opinion, that is wasting resources, that is wasting his own future, can never be intelligent. So if there is something like a mandatory ingredient, of course, Climate 21 is it. Making your own consume and making your own emissions steerable, finally, and putting that topic which has been in the past you you remember these discussions like a year ago when somebody says like everybody has to 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 go and drive like electric cars the next one said no not electric cars because you you have to to put the whole supply chain in it and with that natural or like petrol powered cars are much more now we are talking with facts if we do that it's Mm -hmm. not like these kind of subjective emotions that are meeting each other but climate 21 makes it
1: possible to talk about facts in that way and that's the beauty about that and, and again the bigger picture right? we're obviously when we talk about the intelligent enterprise we're talking about a better business now is better business really important i think. Clearly, there are lots of things, other things that are more important, Uh, health of everybody, civil rights, uh, a planet that we can leave to our children. But I also believe very strongly that the the best run businesses help the world run better, as we say at SAP, that by making everything more efficient and more effective, we have more resources to deal with these kinds of problems.
0: Last element enterprises are never alone they interact so business network has also a quite prominent spot Um, isn't this sometimes a bit overlooked
1: well for me the only thing better than an intelligent enterprise is collaborative networks of intelligent enterprises (laughs) So uh, clearly, we have the opportunity to do what we've always done within an organization, which is try and eliminate the barriers and have end-to-end processes, but now do it at the next level up across entire ecosystems of uh, organizations working together. And I think also this is where the industry cloud approach comes in, where we have new new solutions, particularly that have had industry focus across all of the different actors in that industry. So best practices and next, next. practices embedded into them. Um, Actually, one of the best reads I had recently was I went to our page on the industry cloud solutions. And I think they're very concrete examples of uh, utilities businesses, for example. There's all of these changes going on across the utility business that affects lots of different companies in that industry. and how we can all work together on collaborative solutions that work across organizations to adapt to more sustainable sources of electricity, to uh, adapt electricity grids so that I can have a solar panel on my roof, for example, and give electricity back into the grid to leverage the power of electric car batteries as part of our electric, you know, so th- this, and that's just one example of one industry. So this clearly things that we can do to take everything to the next level by working closer together.
0: And of course we have seen in the past and now whatever disruptions coming from let's say natural disasters, Fukushima, whatever those things at first disrupts, are disrupting supply chains and networks can counteract disruptions in supply chain the best way. So if you are alone you are lost if you interact. If you collaborate, you are strong. I think it can be put as simple as that. Do you agree?
1: Absolutely. And going back to sort of Plan International and those other organisations, that's absolutely part of their resilience faced with disaster is that they have flexible, flexible, collaborative approaches. A huge part. Of what they focus on is how to work with everybody else on the ground so that if they can't provide something somebody else can and vice versa this was probably for our listeners
0: everything what we, what we were talking about was very beautiful but the different difficult thing of course is when we want to implement it when they say okay this is great but where do I start so I want to put now Timo Elliott in the driver's seat. And when you are the boss of a company, where would you start? And what would be your decisions and your first steps to make your company intelligent?
1: So let me oversimplify it. I believe that it depends on your business. But there are three things that you might care most about first. One is... It might be that you feel that your business has just been around for a long time and there are just big efficiency opportunities and that you want to do that first so that you have the resources to adapt the rest of your business. So you could then start with uh, things like automation, using artificial intelligence, um, putting in digital systems rather than manual systems. Right, It's a it's traditional place to start, to be honest, is efficiencies so that you have the resources to do the other things. On the other hand, it could be that you're in a business that's undergoing massive disruption by some startup that's coming in and providing a better service to customers than you are able to provide with your approach. In that case, you should probably start with a customer experience. So know that like what can you do that's different from those startups leveraging your network so if you're a retail store for example and you're faced with online competition how are you going to leverage your online your retail store your bricks and mortar in a different way to do something that the online vendor can't do Uh, or finally and this is one that i think people don't should probably do more often which is maybe you're just not ready to even think about digital transformation. The first thing you have to do is work on your people and your organization and your willingness to change. So maybe you need to start with uh, human resources related things. Make sure that people are incented to help with this vision of a new way of working rather than resisting it because of uh, they're worried about their jobs, quite simply, for example. So those are the three places, efficiencies, uh, customer experience, or people. Which one's right for you? Uh, it depends on your organization. And you might even do a couple of those at the same time. Timo, thank you very much.
0: Um, as the last question, if people do not follow you yet somewhere, which would be of course excusable, <laughs> um, where can they do that?
1: All right. First, am I allowed one last point? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think it's a really important point. We talk a lot about technology. Of course, we're technologists. We work for a technology company. But uh, at the end of the day, digital transformation is something you do with people and not at them. One fatal flaw of technologists like myself is that we don't always realize that the most powerful technology in any organization is people. Only people can change businesses. Only people can innovate. And so I think we all need to spend as much time debugging and optimizing the people stack (laughs) as we do the technology stack. So really spending more time and energy on leadership, empathy, creativity, training, diversity, incentives, effective organizations. Um, So to sum up, an intelligent organization, a telebrent enterprise for me is one that is truly optimizing the most important business process of all, which is innovation, and that takes people.
0: That's a great conclusion. Thank you very
1: much. <laughs> so, if people want to follow me it on t- basically it's Timo Elliott anywhere. So, uh, T I M O. E-double-L-I-O, 2 T's. People always forget the second T. So timorelliot.com, at timorelliot on Twitter. I even have a TikTok account.
0: Even TikTok. <laughs> Jesus, I have to take a look at that. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. Great to have you here. It was it was some awesome, almost, I think, 50 minutes. Thank you very much for this. It was
1: great talking to you, Alex. Thanks again for the opportunity.
0: And have a great day. Bye-bye.